The American Petroleum Institute, driving safety, environmental protection, and sustainability across the natural gas and oil industry through world-class standards and safety programs. Since its formation as a standard-setting organization in 1919, API has developed more than 800 standards to enhance industry operations worldwide. Find out more at api.org. Now more than ever, the industry that fuels the world needs the right people to modernize and unify a global energy platform. The transformation is both digital and cultural. Join us as we explore strategies for success in the hyper-competitive war for talent here on the Energy Workforce of Tomorrow podcast, hosted by the IBM North American Oil and Gas Team. Hello and welcome to another episode of Energy Workforce of Tomorrow, sponsored by IBM. My name is Jason Duff. I'm the IBM North American Oil and Gas Lead. Today, my co-host, Mr. Brian Woodward. Hello, Brian. What's up, Jason? How are you? What's up? Four o'clock in the morning, I heard you got up this morning, didn't you? You can't hear it in my voice, can you? I can. I heard it right through the bloody day. You just reminded me of how long you've been up for. It's been a while. Yeah, I think you know, I'm in my over. I think I'm in overtime hours by now, huh? Overtime hours. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Do we get paid overtime here? Whatever. Yes. I'll just say yes, and you can do this. You know, all the money we make from this goes straight to Red M, right? Oh, I'll take the overtime for that then, right? I'm not sure that Mark's going to pay us from OGG and the overtime to get paid to us. Are we going to get overtime? We have to go to OGG. Yeah. I don't think I've seen the original check yet, much less the overtime check, right? So read the small check. So, Brian, today, any RPO? I mean, recruitment. We might be able to find you a job today. What do you Let's think? Let's do it. I could use it live on the case. show. Get you outsourced. Well, we have a guest, right? We want to introduce our guest, or are we just going to keep bantering all like we for could half banter the show? if you want. Yep. We've got someone that's much prettier than you and I, Brian. Who have we got in today? So we have Emily Fanton. I think we have referred to her as the queen of RPO inside Woo. of IBM, and so we're going to talk about RPO today. And I mean, be honest, Jay said. Some people don't even know what RPO is. So, Emily, you want to jump in, introduce yourself, and tell us what is even RPO? The Queen of RPO from Toledo as well, Brian. Well, you didn't have to bring the fact that she wasn't Texan into the show, but that's okay. She's half Texan. It's okay. We'll let her guest off a little She's a ballooner. Hello, Emily. How are you, Emily? Hello, hello. I'm doing great. How are you guys doing? Both of you. You can tell we're fantastic today. We are fine. Yeah. (laughs) Look good. Yeah, so RPO is obviously recruitment outsourcing. So clients will outsource their recruitment to the experts to do it. And I've been doing this in the oil and gas industry for almost 15 years now. And for as long as I've been doing it, there's still a large number of people in my family that don't know what we do here. So we explain it over and over. But so companies will outsource various parts. Of it. it could be their entire recruitment process or just bits and pieces of it, depending on what their need is. That is what we do over here. Is this IT? Is this finance? Is it every role that you can think of, Emily? It can be, yes. So for most of our clients, we do all of their direct hire positions. So it can be anything from their executive positions down to their hourly positions and everything in between. So a lot of engineering work comes through there too. Very cool. So why would a customer outsource recruiting? Like, What do you get in terms of that as a value-added service? And not just from IBM, but from any provider, right? What's the value-add they get for that? So I think within HR, there's two different pieces that a lot of folks don't like to do. One is payroll and the other is recruiting. So not only do people not like to do it, but it takes a certain skill set that needs to be kind of nurtured 
And that's what we do. So instead of investing in having, you know, dedicated folks on their team that do this, they outsource it to us and we have a team of experts. And it's meant to really kind of mirror their business as the market kind of ebbs and flows with when they're busy, when they're not, we can respond to that and give them a team of experts that's ready to pick up their work. Is a typical model all the way from candidate identification to screening to first level, second level interviews? Like what's the typical model of kind of how that life cycle works in this business? That's a great question. Most of the time what we do is the time that a requisition is approved. So it goes through obviously their internal recruitment process that gets the approval. They assign it to our team. We'll do an intake, understand the full meaning of the position, screen candidates, find candidates if we need to. We can be headhunters. We can be corporate recruiters and anything in between to get a full slate of candidates that meet the requirements for it. And then work with the business to work those candidates through the interview process all the way up to the offer and pre-boarding process. So typically we'll hand it over when an offer has been accepted to a pre-boarding team. So I understand, this is new for me because I would have thought, we all know and probably the listeners would know what a recruitment advisor or agency is. We find Brian a job, he sends a CV. Brian, this is not all about you finding you a job, although, you know, let's see what Emily's got in the books just now. But to be honest, I think most of our listeners, and including me as well, probably know that side. When does outsource become the real sort of, when's the trigger? Because that's the bit for me I still don't understand of, I mean, you know, how does Brian Woodward today market himself to an outsource RPO versus a recruitment agency? And then how does the client decide of, hey, I want an RPO versus I'm just going to go to accountancy personnel or someone like that to work this? So very often they'll do a little bit of both, but to the market, to everyone that's out there, a candidate will never know that they're talking to a recruiter that isn't a direct employee of whatever company they're a representative of. So like all all of our team brand themselves as whatever client that they're supporting. You won't see that they work for IBM or any other recruiting agency. Ah, So they'll do that for most of their positions. So they'll be completely branded like that. But there are going to be some very difficult positions that are out there. So a company might reach out to an agency to fill those, but they don't want to do it for all of the positions, mostly for cost savings. I mean, most contingency agencies charge a 25 to 30% fee and in an RPO model, it's significantly cheaper than that. Oh, very good. So in terms of, let's bring it back maybe to oil and gas, right? And, you know, obviously this industry is changing quite a bit as we speak maybe, you know, faster in some areas and which is maybe creating more gaps in the traditional areas that we all well know. Tell us a little bit about what does recruiting look like in oil and gas today and how are RPO services sort of helping clients in this space really figure out what their short-term, medium-term and long-term needs are? Yep. So I think that one of the biggest things that sets this pair up well with the oil and gas industry and RPO model is the idea that RPOs are built around scalability. And with the oil and gas industry being probably the most volatile industry, it really sets us up to respond well to that. So when things are good, we can have a team of 150 recruiters that are supporting the business and you know making sure that the candidates are getting the experience that they're looking for, the business is getting the candidates that they need so it doesn't interrupt their flow. But that also, too, when things are not good, as we've seen several times, we can pull back on that recruitment team and it doesn't, you know, we can respond much faster than a business could directly, still while maintaining a team of experts, too. So you can get close to the client, know their business, but scale up and scale down based on their needs. And what do you see? And I guess I'm just curious over, I mean, we lived through a really strange time, as we all know, over the last three or four years. 
Not that we're trying to give anybody any marketed investing advice on the show. I think, do we put the disclaimer out that on, Jason? <laughs> Don't build a house in Wimberley. I think yeah, the- yeah. We're not calling shorts or, you know, puts <laughs> or calls or anything on stocks in the show, but... We do know that things have changed quite a bit over the last two or three years in the industry. And just kind of from the lens of where you sit, how do you see the tailwinds, if you will, around the way clients are staffing up in industry and the type of skill sets they're looking for? And, you know, a lot of our listeners out there are practitioners, either brand new or experienced that are trying to figure out how to navigate sort of, you know, what's going on uh, real time. So what's hot in terms of skills? I know I just, and I do that a lot. Jason knows this, ask like 10 questions at once and then (laughs) shut up for a few minutes. I'm going to do that now. You'll get a bit of time in a minute, Emily. He's all right. He's a bit grumpy today. (laughs) It's because he got up at four. (laughs) I have to say all my questions now so I can take my nap. (laughs) (laughs) No, I think too. So yes, the last couple of years, I mean, and not just in oil and gas, but in every industry as a result of COVID, kind of, you know, trying to write everything after that crazy time has really had a large impact. I think that we're finally really back to the point that we're at our pre-pandemic levels. I mean, unemployment is back to where it was beforehand. We're still seeing kind of the skill shortage is about where it was before. The demand is continuing to increase though, right? So as more and more projects are being, you know, approved and the market's starting to look better, we're really seeing that we're still struggling with, you know, where are we going to find these candidates? Where are these skills coming from? And it's really going to take an investment from all of the different clients, you know, the clients that we have to say, where are we going to find you have to partner with not just colleges, not just tech schools anymore, but we're really having to back it down to even high schools and starting to build awareness around the industry, the types of skills that are going to be in demand in three to five years down the road so that we can start to give them the education that they're going to need for the projects that we have today and in the future. Probably that answered one of your 10 questions, but <laughs> I guess. <laughs> so I can't even there, remember the-, the other nine, so that's okay. <laughs> This is what it's working like, Emily. He's just like this. He blots it out and remembers one thing. It's all right. Smile and he'll move on. But I think, too, that, I mean, it really, it's a very good time to be a candidate. This is a candidate market. If you're looking for a job, Ryan, here you go. Take a look around. So I think everybody has a need right now. So one of the biggest things that we can focus on is retention from our kind of coaching our clients to make sure that we're doing everything that we can on that side. But from a candidate perspective, if you're even considering looking for a job, I mean, from a compensation standpoint, it's never been more competitive. If you want, you know, a different type of work environment, you want to work remote, you want a hybrid model, now's the time to ask for it. And this does kind of, it's a cyclical process too, where it's a candidate market, it's our client market, which way is it going to go? But right now we're back to being in the candidate market where they can ask for the moon until things change again. We're going to have to really see what we can do to give them either the moon, a couple stars, whatever it might take to pull them over. Just building on that then, let's go back to the oil and gas industry. What's the difference? So you said you've been doing this in 15 years and most of it, Emily, as I understand knowing you is most of it's been in oil and gas, but you've been doing other industries as well. What's the major difference, if anything, in RPO from our industry in oil and gas versus the others? Is there any? Aside from the fact that it's the best one. There you go. See, right (laughs) answer. 20 bucks there. (laughs) Keep going. No, I've always loved oil and gas. That's why I've stayed in it for as long as I have. But I think really what it is, is that people that aren't in the oil and gas industry don't realize that their skills carry over to this industry, especially if you look at tech and digital. I mean, you look at the engineers that are working as software engineers that are doing all these things and don't realize that they can be doing that in oil and gas. So there really is a lot of education and awareness that needs to be built around 
skills that are transferable to this industry. Outside of oil and gas, everybody else talks to each other. I mean, people bounce back and forth between the food industry, between automotive. I mean, people bounce back and forth because they understand that manufacturing, I'm building this process here, is the same as building it over there. Here, it's a little bit different model, but the skills are the same. And that's what it's going to come down to is really educating folks. They can bring those skills here and have a very successful career. So Emily, I'm going to guess you get a request like, or please tell me I'm wrong and tell me through the process of, you'll be working for an oil and gas company. Let's not name names just now, but it'll be one of the majors of who you'll be working with. And they'll say, get me 10 drillers in Brazil, right? Would that be the request? I mean, am I getting that wrong? Number one, is that right? That type of level, what do you ask for and what are you... And then what's the process of Emily Fanton now actioning that? Can you just walk through that? I mean, number one, is that the type of level that you're being asked to do of, hey, we've got 10 drilling positions in Brazil, go find them? Yeah, we'll get lists like that. And the LATAM operates a little bit differently than our North America team, too. So a lot of LATAM projects come through and projects that have been approved. So we'll get what we would say 60 requisitions. So all the jobs that are going to support this project, there could be a new rig that's being put in offshore. And so you're, we're going to need to employ everybody to work on that project from cradle to grave. So we might get a list to say, hey, here's the different types of skills. It's this type of rig with this type of equipment. You need to go out and source for us everybody that's going to be needed for that. And so that's what our team will do. Obviously, the more notice that we can get for that, the better so that we can get the, the positions filled quickly. But we can also get projects or positions that come through kind of a onesie twosie to say, hey, I need an HR director for this particular geographic region. It's a confidential rec. You know, help me find somebody for this too. So it can be anywhere across the board. And what do you do, Emily, then? What's the process then of you saying, okay, I mean, you're sitting in Toledo or Houston. How do you get these 10, let's keep it 10 drillers to, you know, the Brazil or, you know, mothers, et cetera. What would you do? Have you got a team around the globe? I mean, is that how this works? Yes. So we do have regional teams that support. So we generally base it off of what language they're supporting. So if we had RECs in Brazil, obviously those folks are going to be speaking Portuguese. We do have a large portion of our team is based in Brazil. It's a very busy country at this time. So we have a large team there. So we would assign it to that team and they would do the intake with the business, understand all the needs that they have. And then they would kind of have a meeting internally too, to say, you know, where have we seen this skill before? What kind of sourcing strategy do we need to do? to find this talent? Where are we going to go? They'll post the position. So externally, the candidate market would see that all of these positions are put. We need 10 drillers in Brazil. So they might apply, but most likely we're not going to have enough candidates to fill 10 drilling positions in Brazil. So then we would have to go out and essentially headhunt that talent too. So we would put on a different hat and turn around and use all different kinds of sourcing tools that we have. So we have our own little proprietary toolbox that we would go out and try to find this talent. And then we would reach out to them, make sure that they're qualified, and then have them apply and walk them through the process like we would any other candidate that applied. And what about AI? But AI, Emily, I mean, that's a lot that you're asking. So AI is the new man's best friend, I'm pretty sure. (laughs) But are you guys using it, Emily, in all honesty? Are you using AI or any of the new sort of Gen AI? I mean, is it hit RPO yet, really? Or are you relying on a lot to try and get you to the right resources? Not as much as I would like to see yet, just because it's new. So we are building out use cases. We're talking to our clients about it to see what parts of the process we can use this for. I mean, there's obviously, you know, regulations that are going on behind the scenes and approvals that need to happen for some of the legal and compliance pieces of it. So obviously, we can't use it from an end-to-end process yet. But there are different pieces. There's a lot for like interview scheduling in particular or, you know, candidate screening. So if a candidate applies, AI 
can move them through the process. They can schedule their own interview. and We don't have to wait for a recruiter to call nice. them back to have a five minute. So we can use the technology for that, but it can do so much more than that. And Brian, before you ask, I know you're going to say, well, down the road, where do you think this is going to go? I really think that in three to five years, maybe not everybody, but nearly everybody is going to be using AI to do so much of this process. I mean, there's so much that we can say like a monkey could do. We can, well, we have, we built our monkey. He can do it. We need to train him, tell him how to do things and then make sure that he can talk to us. So that's where we're at. But I really think that within the next couple of years, everyone's going to be using this in some way, shape or form. So you would imagine things like pre-qualifications or certain visas or work permits that people will need, which should be automated, right? Because that Musk, Emily, come in that says, here's, I need a driller in Brazil, but I need him to have the latest offshore training. He needs to be a ABC certified. I need him to have a work permit. All of that, you could imagine, could also be automated and almost not even asked, right, as part of your search, unless it's done already, Emily. So a lot of it is done already. We have pre-qualifiers that we put out there, but that work can partner up with the AI to say, okay, well, essentially, if you check this box, it's like a choose your own adventure, then you go here or here, depending on how you respond to that. So it's a matter of building those switches and then turning them on right now. But eventually, the idea is going to be to automate as much of the process as possible. And I know when I talk to my teams about this too, their concern is, oh, here we go again, where you're building technology to replace workers and do all that. And the piece is, it's really not, but there's already a skill shortage. I mean, we're seeing it too within TA. So we need to use AI to augment the workers that we have to make them better and faster and the ability to respond because candidates want to have the best experience. They're ready to move quickly and we need to be able to respond to that. And AI is the way to do it. I guess another thought on this, Emily, if I was asking you about Brazil or you knew that I was about to, I'm assuming that as an RPO service, you could give me some data on what type of salary I'm going to be looking for and what the searches have come up before. Because that would be a fantastic way to add value, right? Before I'm even asking you as a client, you're already seeing my funnel and actually coming back going, hey, Jace, Brazil's a real tough one just now. Or, you know, there's a lot of drilling projects down there. We have to pay people a little bit more. I mean, that would be a fantastic value add service, right? Again, I don't know if you're doing that today or not. Yes. Or we so should be doing. We do some of it. We do, I guess, depending on the work that we have and the need for it, we do have the ability to do it always. So when we assign it to the, our team and we have that intake meeting with the client, we go back internally and build out our sourcing strategy at that time. And then we'll evaluate if we need to do some market insights. Do we need to pull? Are we going to struggle with compensation? Who are our main competitors in this area? What is it looking like? Is anyone doing layoffs? Where can we be pulling this talent from? Is there another industry that has this skill set, something else that we should be aware of? We do have that, the ability for that. And then obviously that information would be handy for the business to have. So we will take it back to our clients and say, hey, we pulled some market insights. This is what we're seeing. These are our potential pain points. And you know, in the near future, we would recommend that we proceed like this. And we will definitely incorporate that piece. Go ahead, Jace. I was going to knock on the door and see if you were still awake, Brian. I'm still here. I, you know, I was pondering about AI, and you said, where do you think this is going to be in three to five years? And I'm thinking it's going to be AI RPO agents hiring AI agents with AI agents talking about it on our podcast, right? Oh, it's all going to go completely AI-driven. I do think in this particular <laughs> industry, seriously, as we all know, there's a, from a safety standpoint, there's a lot of preparation to get candidates ready to operate on our customers' you know, rigs and equipments. And I think you know, there's a lot of AI-assisted processes that can be enabled that way. Emily, I think you talked a lot about given the customer's reach and scalability, I think the job market's getting 
more and more global. I mean, it's always been global in this industry, but it's super global now and it's super competitive and being able to bring, I guess, the visibility and the reach beyond sort of the client's perspective, the client's current world is a huge value add. You talked about adjacent industries and we talk about this a lot on this podcast. I think that especially for some of maybe the experienced candidates in the technology space, as well as new ones coming out of university, there's so much tech and digital going into this industry right now. And I think there's a hunger inside of this industry now to take outside perspective and outside skills and tech and bring them into this industry to try to accelerate and move the industry forward because there's such a push. And I think that's a great Maybe a great perspective that a quote unquote outsider can bring into a client from an RPO perspective to really understand multiple industries, multiple skill sets, and really how to get the best out of the availability in the market. Because like you said, I don't think we're dealing with, I mean, it's interesting, right? There's a lot of press in the about energy and how energy is quote unquote, or a traditional fossil fuel business is a dying industry. But I mean, I think all of us that live and work it every day see exactly the opposite, right? The need for skills in the next 10, 15, 20 years far outpaces the supply. And it's, I think, a great time to look at going into the industry. And I think if you're a young person that's got a nice adjacent skill set, you can make a great career in some great companies that are investing in energy across the entire spectrum, right? Yeah, I like it. Yeah, absolutely. So it's not just digital skills that transfer over and tech and all that. I mean, we're seeing it too on the skilled trades too, and all of these other skills that can transfer over. I mean, from welders, from other types of those skills and CDL drivers. I mean, they support every single industry that's out there. They're kind of the backbone of the country, if you could say that. But I'm like, all of these are not only transferable skills, but they are in such high demand. They're the most difficult to fill. They're the most competitive. Mm-hmm. I think that's where you were going with this, Jason. So I'm going to get ahead of you here. But yeah, those are absolutely the most difficult. So we are constantly brainstorming for ways to be more attractive, to help our clients get out there and get in front of them, to be the employer of choice, to be the ones with a higher retention or attrition, retention rates. I mean, to really hold on to the talent for these particular positions, but just kind of across the board. What's the most difficult role you've been asked to fill, Emily? A recruiter. Yeah. Oh, wow. (laughs) You didn't take the job? No. So I think in my humble opinion, we're very particular, right? Because I mean, you have to have a wide breadth of knowledge and you have to be engaged because that's really what's going to make a team successful. That's the reason that clients outsource. Anybody could hire somebody to sit there and screen candidates that apply and do all this, but you have to have a lot of skills. You have to be able to talk to people. You have to be able to search the internet. You have to be able to schedule, manage, do time management, all of these different pieces while having a personality, being able to have these conversations with the candidates, do some project management, working with the hiring managers, making sure that they're on board with the process because, you know, inevitably, they're going to say that their business is, you know, busy, they don't have time to interview, we don't have time for this. And we have to be able to hold them accountable to do all these pieces. So personally, I would say that recruiters are the most difficult to fill. Well, Emily, it's funny. I mean, when you say that clients outsource all kinds of business processes, right? But this is so different than outsourcing uh, accounts payable or procurement activities. You have to really know your client really, really well and know the stakeholders and start to get to know what kind of candidates that you're going to bring them that are going to be attractive to them and how to position them. And even it's an outsourced service. I mean, you're really, I'm going to use your word, Jason, embedded 
mm-hmm. in the client to be successful. You know, I mean, like you said, it should be pretty transparent the way you guys operate in terms of you being, even though it may be outsourced provider, you're absolutely an advocate for their needs and you have to know their business as well, or maybe better than some of their own people do. Absolutely. We are 100% an extension of their brand. So like I was saying earlier, we brand ourselves as this client. Anybody out in the market would have no idea that we are not whichever client we're dedicated to. And our folks are always 100% dedicated to one client, largely for this reason. But there's a lot of knowledge that comes with being responsible for a client. Like you were saying, Brian, they have to know the products, the client, what's coming up, all of these pieces and be able to answer any questions that might come. And in a way that is genuine so that when they're talking to a candidate, they don't just feel like a recruiter reading a script or, oh, let me come back to you with an answer. Now, sometimes we'll do that because we don't have the answer. But generally speaking, they're very well informed. They are a true partner to their client. Emily, how did you get into this? Let's talk about you a bit more personally. (laughs) You said 15 years. I fell into it. Did you stumble into this? Did you stumble or were you in recruitment and came into RPO? Tell us a bit more about you and where you're as a female leader sort of came into this and to who you are today, please. Okay. That's that's an interesting story. So I started out actually in engineering. So way back in the day, I was a structural engineer by title, not by degree, but I designed and built bulk loading systems for real cars and semis in the oil and gas industry. So when I first got into recruiting and I would go on site, I'm like, oh, I designed that. I designed that. And I could actually see them. But it was around the time that the industry went out a little And I decided that I didn't actually want to just be stuck behind a computer designing things. I needed to talk to people. So a friend actually recommended getting into recruiting. And I ultimately got hired to recruit engineers because if I did the job, I must be able to talk to these people. So that was how I got into recruiting. I was part of these people. Cool. And what would you say to the young Emily Fantons that are coming out of college or just thinking about this? What would your suggestion be of, you know, how to make a career out of this one? Hmm, that is an interesting question. Wow, we stumped a Brian. Look at that. You did. Yeah, you did. Essentially, I was in this. So I would say kind of get in, pick an industry, pick a field and stay loyal to it. Become the expert in that. Don't spread yourself too thin and try and do every industry, every type of position. Pick something and become the expert in that. And that is how you will set yourself apart and be successful. So that's kind of what I've done. Seems to have worked well for me. I'm very happy with where I am. That's what I would pass along. I think that's great advice. I mean, Brian, you and I always talk about that. This generation now, I feel, always want to spend six, 12 months ticking the box next, ticking the box next. And what Emily's just said is what you and I always, and where we went to our careers, is you stick to something and you really own it and you run it and you literally A to Z it, right? I mean, Jason, I know you did sound a little bit like my, my granddad when you said that, right? This uh, this next generation, you're... <laughs> Definitely aging yourself. Next generation, (laughs) No, but I think 100%. I mean, most of us on your team, Jace, I think have been in and around this industry for a long time, Emily, and I know you have as well. I mean, you provide ultimate client value when really understand your client. You understand the challenges that they're going through. You understand how... The business model works, how it flows up and down, and you've got, you know, you're sympathetic to that. And so I 100% agree. I think anybody that's young that's out there, whether you're going in recruiting or you're going to go into some other space and get to know the business and get deep on the business fast, because that's where your value becomes stickiness, right? The technologies are going to change over time. Where work's going to be done changes over time. But that sort of hardcore knowledge of how the industry works is golden forever, I think. 
I will say, yeah, one of the first positions that I had when I got into the oil and gas industry was on site at a refinery. And I was just fascinated with the entire process and how you boil oil and how it all comes out. I mean, I couldn't get enough of it. I was buying books, educating myself. I mean, I was so fortunate to be on site there with other people that genuinely loved what they do and loved teaching people that were interested in what they do, what they did. I mean, and this is one industry, like I say, People that are in this industry love what they do. They love to talk about it to people that are interested and share their knowledge more so, I think, than any other industry. And I think that's what sets it apart and why more people should come and work in oil and gas. But, I mean, it is full of a bunch of genuine people that love what they do. And one of the best parts, too, about being a recruiter in this industry is that you get to talk to everybody everybody in the industry, everybody that's doing this and learn, well, what is it that you do? Oh, how does that fit into the overall process? Oh, so you work with these types of people over here and you do that. Okay. And you get to put this whole big puzzle together just by talking to folks. It's awesome. It's such a great career. People like old guys with New Mexico belt buckles, Emily, that's the type of people you meet, isn't it? Just rounding the circle to our prep call. Yeah. Isn't that right, it. Brian? I have no problem with my New Mexico belt buckle. I know you have your Texas one I've on. I've got my I, Texas one. I've walked back and forth between those two states many times in my childhood, so I, I, can, I can wear both. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But no, I think it is a great industry. And Emily, I think you summed it up. I think there's still a lot of passion for what we do. I think there's going to be a lot of exciting developments over the next 20, 30 years. And I think that it's probably pretty fair to say that there's going to be more skill requirements, you know, net net over the next 20 to 30 years for the way energy is produced than there is availability. So it's a great time to jump in and find your way as a as a candidate to uh, someone like Emily and it's a great I think as a client it's a great way to scale your operations is to look at the skill sets like Emily and her team provide to get the competitive edge and get the candidates that you need to be successful. I think it's hard to do standalone inside of organizations today because it's just too competitive, right? I agree. And Brian, Emily and I agreed a couple of weeks ago, she's going to spend more and more time with us. So she'll be coming and spending more time in the Houston Oil and Gas team and then actually then getting into more clients, which is fantastic news. Yep. She's always welcome down here in Texas and uh, we could even take a trip to New Mexico if that's okay. So Emily, can we actually find a job for Brian? Can we just, any other jobs on there? My resume's out there. Emily's working. Don't worry. Don't worry. (laughs) I'm sure we could find something, whether he would like it or not. I mean, I've got all kinds of jobs. Can we send him as far away as possible? <laughs> yeah, I want to be. I want to oh, be. You'd a, miss it. Yeah, I'm 51, but I'm thinking about changing my career 51. to be 51. Hold on. When were you 51? Hold on. Actually, I'm turning 52 in January, but I'm thinking about becoming a deep water welder. You know, why not? There you go. Emily, yeah. are you looking for any 52 year old deep water welders? Absolutely. That's, uh, probably yeah. way, pray way past my prime it. on that it's one, Jason. It's never Jace. too late. Yeah. It's never too late. We'll have him on the next RPO show, Emily. He'll be sort of, uh, hey, remember that show a couple of months ago? <laughs> yeah, I'll be talking. I'm going to switch to maybe getting a truck driver license after about two days trying to deep water uh, dive well. I don't know how those guys do what they do, but I wouldn't make it five minutes, Jace. I'm serious. Yeah, absolutely. Emily, I think you're fantastic. I think 15 years in the oil and gas industry and showing what you can do in a totally different area where, to be honest, again, like I said at the front, I think a lot of people and our listeners would think of recruitment as a recruitment agent. So actually as a process that you can outsource and the work and the value you put in when you're embedding, as Brian said, I think is phenomenal. Yeah, I look forward to working with you more. And guys, if you want to know more about Emily, we'll put our details in the chat. And yeah, she'll be down in Houston quite a lot now, given that Brian and I will probably be 
well, clearly Brian's looking for a new job, so he'll be clearly getting Emily down as much as possible. I think she replaced me as the podcaster today. Oh, on you, this. you anyway, found that out. You only yeah, took yeah, 35 yeah. minutes to find that one out, Brian. Didn't you? <laughs> I knew in the first 30 seconds. I just didn't want to say anything till it was over. Is that why uh, you had your yes. snooze in the middle yeah. of this podcast? Yeah, I was going to be doing my signing off, my goodbyes, because Emily's taken my position over. I know how it's going, right? Yeah, why are you still talking? <laughs> When you tell me, you know, Jason, you know, I know you Scottish are. You tell me I got to start looking for a job. The writing's on the wall. Emily, get hey, a little feisty on Emily. at the yeah, end. Yeah, that's right. right. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I'm He's grumpy. woken up now. Yeah. It's time to go yeah, to the restroom. It's 3.30. <laughs> I'm getting a little nervous now. Emily, great to meet you. Well, I know I know you, but great to have you on the show. And certainly, I think when you're down in Houston, we'll be creative and try to get some more clients to learn more about what we do in this space, because I think it's a high value area. And Jason, seriously, I mean, Emily and I talked in the prep. She's going to do some additional podcasts for us on her own, because I think she'd be a great host knowing kind of this whole space, right? It's perfect. Joking apart, I think you're absolutely spot on, Brian, to be honest. I know we've had a good old, Emily, thank you for joining us and being a good sport. You know how Brian and I get on, but I think Brian's spot on as well. If you could do your own one and literally put a note out, it'd be great. Yeah, absolutely. This was a blast. Thanks for having me. Thank you, Emily. Cheers, Jace. I got to go back to sleep, so I'm signing off. No worries. Hey, guys, thank (laughs) you very much for listening. Let's let Brian go back, and then uh, we'll take it from there. Anyone wants to be the next Emily and put on the show, drop us a line to Brian or I, myself, and we'll go from there. Thanks. That's a wrap. Cheers, guys. Join us again next week on the Energy Workforce of Tomorrow podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. To learn more, go to OGGN.com. 